0: Our scripture today comes from Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 25. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the pe- by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you, And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council, named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men, for before these days... Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas, the Galilean, rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone, for if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name and every day in the temple and from house to house they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ that the Christ is Jesus.
1: Let me say a word of prayer as we continue in our worship service. Father in heaven, Lord, you have promised that your word will not return void and I want to claim that promise now. I pray that as we read it, And as we listen to it preached, that your work would be present in each of us, that you would transform us, that you would help us to believe and trust and rest and rejoice in your truth. And I pray this in Jesus' name, our Savior, amen. Did you notice what happened in the scripture reading that Lauren just finished from from Acts chapter 5? In Acts chapter 5, Peter and the apostles are preaching Jesus, they're hauled into jail. They're miraculously set free, and then the people that took them to jail in the first place are angry, and they bring them back, and they ask for an account, and Peter says, you know what? We have to obey God rather than men. We're not going to stop telling people about Jesus. And for their faithfulness, they are beaten. But as they have been beaten physically, they have bruises and sores, they are full of joy. They are full of happiness. And this morning, I'm going to preach a message to you entitled, Happiness and Misery. There's a guy from a couple hundred years ago, he said, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attended with different views. They will never take the least step but to this object, to be happy. This is the motive of every action of every man, even those who hang themselves. Blaise Pascal, he he says, happiness, happiness is the root motive of Every action. Think of his example for a second. He said, some men go to war to fight for happiness. They believe in the peace and prosperity that they are trying to protect their loved ones, their family, their way of life. And so they fight, they go to war, they will kill to protect the thing they love, their happiness. And then think for a second of the, of the pacifist, or, or, or just of the person who is afraid of war, the person who is a draft dodger, the person who ran away, who would not fight. Think for a second. He also is preserving his own happiness. He's convinced if he goes to war, he will lose everything. He will fight for a cause maybe he doesn't believe in. Maybe he'll be injured. Maybe he'll be killed. But he avoids war to protect His happiness, Blaise Pascal says, even those who commit suicide do so in an attempt to escape pain. They believe that even death can't be worse than the pain that drives them to it. And I want to say to you today, I believe that Pascal is absolutely right. Not only is he right, he helps us understand how you and I respond to Jesus Christ. I quote Pascal because he goes straight to the heart of why we are either dedicated to Christ above everything else or dedicated to something other than Christ above our faith. It comes down to where you find your happiness. Some people are cold towards Jesus. They might pay lip service to him. If that's true, it's because they believe they'll find happiness somewhere else. Some people are fully devoted to Christ above everything else. And if that's true, it's because they believe they'll find happiness in Christ. But everyone wants to be happy. And Jesus has something profound to say about that. My prayer for this message in this service for our church is that your love for Christ would explode. That you would find a joy in God That would enable you to withstand anything and everything until you see him face to face when your joy will be made complete. A present joy that looks for future fulfillment. My prayer is that as you hear what Jesus says to you in Luke chapter 6, that would happen in your heart. I want you to love Jesus more when you leave today. I want you to long for him. But before we go to our passage, let me just say just a word about what has happened in the book of Luke so far. We started in chapter one. Today we are in chapter six. And at this point in his ministry, Jesus is already gone public. He has been preaching a message of the forgiveness of sins. He has welcomed people like tax collectors that the religious leaders of his day had pushed to the outside of society. He has found sick people and healed them he has cleansed a leper and jesus has shown again and again that he's more than just a prophet he's more than just a teacher he is teaching people to look to him to find their healing and to find their salvation he's been casting out demons He shows that he has victory over Satan. And because of all of this, because of the healings, because of his preaching, because he goes with no discrimination towards all kinds of people, he has a large following. And from that large following, two weeks ago we saw he called 12 men who would serve as his ambassadors. And he intends for the 12 apostles, Peter and the others, To spread the message of the kingdom. And here is the message that he is giving them to convey. The message that he wants them to preach all over the world is repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. That's what Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost. Repent and be baptized. Repent. Recognize you are a sinner and you have offended God. Say I am sorry to the Lord and show that by being baptized, saying, I deserve to die for my sins. I am going under the water to show that Jesus' death was accomplished for me. And so I died with Christ, and I am raised with Christ in newness of life. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. The 12 apostles that Jesus chose, and we saw two weeks ago how he chose them, spread that message all over the world. First Baptist Church of Holly exists because the apostles ...faithfully spread the message of Christ. And someone told someone else. and Someone told someone else. And here we are today, 2,000 years later... ...because we have the same message... ...that we can have our sins forgiven. The church is not a group of perfect people. The church is a group of people who recognize... ...we have a perfect Savior. And so we come together to worship the Lord Jesus Christ... ...and we spread the exact same message... ...that the apostles preached... Every church and our church is a little embassy of the kingdom of heaven. And it's full of citizens from every walk of life, every type of background. It doesn't matter if you're a mom with small children or an old man who has been retired for 30 years. All of us are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We are waiting for the return of King Jesus. And we are here to celebrate the forgiveness of sins that we have available through Christ. That's what we're doing. That's what Jesus started 2,000 years ago. And that's what we do to this day. Now, here's the thing. So Jesus, earlier in chapter 6, has sent out people, or he's preparing to send out people to spread this message of the kingdom. Before he sends them out, He prepares them for what life will be like as they follow him. We read about what happened with Peter and the other apostles as they preached the message and they found persecution. Jesus didn't surprise them with that when it happened. He prepared them for it with the message that you and I are about to hear here in chapter 6. And this is incredibly important for each of you and for me because if we follow Christ we will find the exact same things happen to us. We are called to spread the same message that Jesus gave to his apostles very directly. And so as he was preparing them through this sermon in Luke chapter 6, he is preparing you and he is preparing me. And if Jesus were here today, he would give you this message because you have the same calling to live as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, to preach the same message, and to follow the same commands. And so what Christ says, he says to you in a very personal way. And I believe he would have looked you in the eye and said these things that we are about to read together. So we're in Luke chapter 6 today. If you haven't opened your Bible, I would urge you to open it. We're about three quarters of the way through. You can find the book of Luke, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It is large and easy to find. We are in chapter 6, and I want you to follow along with me as I read, starting in verse 20. Jesus says, and he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. To you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Jesus says these things to you. And it's significant that he begins his sermon talking about happiness. And now here, I know the word is translated blessed in your Bibles. But here's the thing. Being blessed, biblically, is to be happy. And sometimes we over-spiritualize words like blessing. It sounds like something awful that only a super spiritual Christian would experience. But if you read the Old Testament where so many of these things come from. You know, Jesus is, is referring to Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. And, and those themes talk about the joy of being in a right relationship with God. And so much of that joy is described in things like feasting and dancing, things that even non-Christians would recognize are full of happiness. You're in Exodus, God tells his people, He said, you're gonna go to a land flowing with what? Milk and honey, things that are delicious and make you fat, things that that everyone wants. Not only does he describe the promised land where God lives with them in terms of milk and honey and abundance, he promises the blessings of family, of large families. You know, everybody wants love. That's why we have TV shows like The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. Everyone's looking for that perfect kind of connection. And once you find it, you expect that you're going to be happy, right? Nobody wants to get married so that they can get divorced and be miserable. That's not the goal. Everyone wants to be happy. And we understand happiness in terms of the blessings that God describes in the Old Testament. So when you read, Jesus says, blessed are you. He's not describing some weird spiritual thing where you don't have anything good. He is describing what we understand as happiness. Nearly every promise of God includes abundant and rich food. There was feasting and dancing in the presence of God. Psalm 16, King David says in God's presence is fullness of joy. You don't lack anything that would that would keep you from being happy. Fullness of joy. And at God's right hand are pleasures forevermore. Pleasure is a word that we understand. We almost think it's a bad thing, but it's not. God says at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And the Old Testament sometimes makes real conservative Christians uncomfortable because it talks about drinking and it talks about all kinds of things that we're like, whoa, can God do that? But he's talking about real happiness where God is at the center, not at the edge. He's at the center of it all. And so remember that Pascal quote? Remember... Jesus is describing the thing that everyone wants. And the problem that you and I have is we're confused about how to get it. Everyone seeks happiness. Jesus is about to tell you how to get it. But what he says flips the world on its head. And it'll do that for you, and it'll do that for me. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian. It doesn't matter if you've been in church all your life. The things that Jesus says here are hard to hear. So much so that many Christians look at this and they try to explain it away as if Jesus didn't really mean what he said. So, for example, take poverty. Most people will say, Jesus isn't talking about literal poverty. There's no virtue in lacking things. And to some extent, that's true. There are lots of poor people who don't know Jesus, and they will not experience the blessings of knowing God. But there are two passages that we have to see to appreciate just how literally Jesus means. And so we're in Luke chapter 6, turn over to Luke 18. And if you want to know what Jesus means when he says, blessed are you who are poor, Jesus will show you exactly what he means. We're going to go to Luke 18, starting in verse 18. A young man approaches him. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He wants to know how to be right with God. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all of these I have kept from my youth. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things... He became very sad for he was extremely rich. And Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Now, this guy is literally rich. And Jesus says, literally, it is hard for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But Jesus said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Now, what did Jesus say there? Did he say, if you're in a spiritual sense then you will be blessed no, he said anyone who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, not just the apostles, he says no one who has done this will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life He is talking about being literally poor for the sake of the kingdom of God. You might ask, well, why would we be poor for the sake of the kingdom of God? Well, there are two ways. One of them is in the sermon that Jesus is preaching in Luke chapter 6. If he describes how to love your enemies as you you experience the opposition that comes when you you are faithful to Christ, he says, look, we're in Luke 6. Verse 27, he says, I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you, to one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also, and from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. That's a quick route to poverty. If you follow the Lord faithfully, you will part with your things easily. Psalm says that a righteous man is generous, that he gives constantly. Jesus says the same thing. Why? Because you love the kingdom of God more than you love your stuff. And it's very literal. I'll give you one other reference that shows the same way. You can can either become poor by being generous and giving away your stuff, or sometimes, as a result of being a Christian and faithfulness to Christ, you can lose your things because of the enemies of the kingdom of God. So Hebrews chapter 10 is written to some people that that had happened to. They came to Christ, and as a result, their property had literally been seized. They lost their homes. And this is what the writer to the Hebrews says. I'm in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. It says, recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. When he says you were enlightened, it means you understood the gospel. You understood that Jesus would forgive your sins. You understood you were right with God through faith in Christ, and you chose Christ. You were excited to believe. And then he says, this is what happened next. After you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those who were so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully, joyfully, underline that word, accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Why were they joyful? Because what they had in Christ was more precious and more valuable than what they lost for the sake of Christ. They literally lost their homes and they weren't in grief. They weren't in deep mourning. They were joyful because what they had in Christ was more precious. Their sins had been forgiven. They believed Jesus was returning and would reign as a king. And in Jesus' kingdom, they would be rewarded because they had rested and trusted in Christ. Jesus is saying to people who literally were made poor that you are joyful, blessed, and happy. Why? Not because poverty is a good thing, but because in Christ you have something better. The point is this. Following Jesus, when you see how good he is, is costly. Gaining Christ is the most precious thing in the world. So in spite of the cost, you will be willing to give up your treasure with joy. Paul said it this way, I count everything as loss for the sake of Christ. And he counted his entire life before Jesus as excrement, as dung. Because Christ was that precious to him. He gave up reputation. He gave up wealth to follow Christ. So Jesus, Paul, the believers in the book of Hebrews All of them made themselves literally poor because with joy they saw something of far greater value. Let me ask you, do you see the same thing? Is the kingdom of God the most precious thing in the world to you? Do you give sacrificially of your time and your money to spread the good news that Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead? Is that the fountain of joy in your life? Are you giving everything to follow Christ? Or is Christ something that is on the edge of your life and the center of your happiness is found in all the same things that non-Christians love and enjoy in houses and vacations? Where is the center of your life? Because Jesus says that determines whether you will find joy or whether you will find misery He's not asking you to be miserable. He's deeply concerned about your eternal happiness. Hunger is much the same way as joy. And I'm going to move through the rest of these kind of quickly. Hunger, he says, blessed are you who are hungry now. Why? For you shall be satisfied. It's easy to say, well, oh, that's not literal. Jesus doesn't want us all to starve. And in one sense, that's true. Matthew, when he records this he put it this way: "Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness' sake." So it's a it's a deep internal longing for the things of God. It recognizes that the world around you is deeply broken. Not only is the world around you broken, but in fact, your own heart and soul are deeply broken, and you need forgiveness and healing, and you long for peace and justice. So this isn't always literal. It's speaking about a deep internal hunger. It is spiritual, but Jesus says in chapter 5 of Luke, if you've read chapter 5 before chapter 6, you ought to know this. He says, when the bridegroom, and he is the bridegroom, when Jesus is taken away from his followers, when he goes to heaven, that's now, they will fast in those days. They will go without food because they long for him so much. Now, Jesus says... If you are a devoted follower of Him, there will be times when you long for Him so much that you'll miss a meal as you pray and ask for His healing in your own broken heart and life. That you'll pray and miss a meal as you ask for God to work in the life of our church and in the churches around the world. And if you have that deep kind of hunger, fasting makes so much more sense. Not because you're trying to earn approval with God, but because you long and hunger for God so much that even food loses its appeal and draw. That prayer becomes a deeper and a greater priority in your life because of how badly you want God to come and fix this mess. The good news is, Jesus says, if you hunger, one day you will be full. It's good if you hunger now, because there's coming a day when he will rule in righteousness. We won't find religious fanatics blowing each other up. We won't find sexual abuse inside and outside the church. We long for Jesus to return for the same reason that we weep. Jesus said, blessed are you if you weep now, for you shall laugh. And let me just say, if you've been paying attention to the news at all for the past two weeks, you have plenty of reason to weep. Friday, there, there was another shooting at, at an assembly plant in Illinois. We heard not only about additional details in, in the Catholic sexual abuse scandal, but also the Southern Baptist denomination w- was shown to have an epidemic of sexual abuse that they have not dealt with well. And there was a guy lived across the hall from me at Moody. His dad is the pastor of a very large church, has 13,000 people. He was just fired last week because he was on tape being recorded saying some horrible, horrible things about people that were causing him problems. It demonstrated that he didn't have a heart of love, and it demonstrated that he was a terrible leader and unfit for ministry. And yet that man has been used to draw thousands of people to Christ. It's a church that many of you would recognize and know of. And so it's with deep sadness that that not only outside the church, but also inside the church, there's a brokenness that ought to cause us to weep. And Jesus says, you are actually blessed if you weep. Why? Because you understand that we need a Savior, and the good news is, Jesus is the Savior. There's going to come a day when God will wipe away every tear. But if you see no need for Christ... If you literally fill your belly and laugh at whatever you can now and you are enjoying life, Jesus says, if you're satisfied now, you have a future of hunger and tears. If you're satisfied now, you have a future of hunger and tears. In the same way, when you're a social outcast for Jesus, now Jesus says, you are blessed. It says in, in, in verses 22 and 23 says, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Now how can that be true? So as of the conference two weeks ago, or three weeks ago rather, and we heard a pastor, he's a pastor of a church in Iraq, his name is Max Stiles. And he was talking about a couple that the the young lady had become a Christian. She's in Iraq. This is mostly a Muslim country. And she wanted to follow the Lord in obedience and be baptized. And so her husband came as a a non-believer. He was a Muslim. He came to the church, watched her be baptized. And he didn't think it was that big of a deal. He wasn't even really that upset. But he told his family... And some of the people in his family were so upset that they literally called their friends and put out a a death threat on this young lady's wife because they said she'd gone apostate. She became a Christian, and they thought she deserved to die. So this man is not a believer yet. His wife is, and they have to flee for their lives. They literally lost their house. He literally lost his job, and they left the country so that she would not be killed. Through that experience... That man became a believer, and while we were sitting at the conference, okay, so we're in comfortable chairs in a a nice room that has heat, even though it was just horribly cold in Minneapolis, we're sitting in absolute comfort. We actually have security officers to make sure that we're nice and safe. You know, we don't have to worry about somebody running in with a gun. There are security officers at the door because it's a really large venue. While we're in comfort and security, Max Stiles got a text message from somewhere north of Iraq, where this lady and her husband are living in a refugee camp. Now, you've all seen pictures of refugee camps on the news and in newspapers and on the internet. You live in crummy little shelters and share bathrooms with thousands of people. They are not pleasant places. Abuse can be rampant throughout them. You, you don't have your basic needs. And from a refugee camp, this lady sent Max Styles a text message and said, Jesus is so precious to us they lived this verse they were outcasts because they had come to christ they had lost everything and she knew that mac was going to be preaching to a group of pastors there are a couple thousand pastors and church leaders there and she said we are praying for you. Now think for just a second about the, the irony that this lady who has lost everything is praying for a bunch of pastors sitting in a room that is full of comfort that literally has guards at the door just to make sure that we're all safe. While she had had flee for her life and is living in a refugee camp, she's praying that God's word would be effective and powerful in our hearts and lives. She was deeply happy and her husband was too because they had Christ after they'd lost everything else. Let me say that present happiness comes because of the joys that you have in Christ. You get those now. Your sins are forgiven. The Holy Spirit is present in your life. And it's not that your stuff doesn't matter. It's that it, it, it will be all repaid to you back with so much generous interest in the life to come that it will be worth it all. Jesus said, great is your reward in heaven, but that is not true of everyone. And so he ends this sermon with a picture of misery and grief. He says, woe to you who are rich, for you've received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Let me ask you, man, as we close, where are you at with this? There are three things that I want to say real briefly. Number one, as Jesus talks about how we ought to behave and what our values ought to be like, I want to hold Jesus up high because he did this perfectly. He not only preached well, he practiced what he preached. He was the greatest preacher and the greatest practitioner. He was poor, And he left the glory of heaven to live without a home of his own. He was hungry. He fasted in the desert and he was so devoted to the Father. He would spend all night in prayer. He would go without his basic needs to pray for his disciples, to pray for the church. He wept over non-believers. He wept over Jerusalem because they would not believe in him and repent. And he was hated by people so much that they crucified him. Imagine for just a moment if Jesus had not been like that. What if he clung to the riches of heaven and never came to earth? Or imagine if instead of going hungry, he just met his own needs in the desert and he kind of penciled in prayer when he could fit it into his schedule. Would he have obeyed the Father to the point of death on a cross? I don't think so. What if instead of weeping for the lost, he just dismissed them? He focused his ministry on the people that would already listen to him. Would he ever have called for people to repent of their sins so that they could find forgiveness? Or or would he have just ministered to a kind of holy huddle? Imagine if he had only said things that people wanted to hear so that everyone spoke well of him. That's our temptation all the time. He never would have been our savior. And the Father would not have exalted him to the highest place and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But praise God, Jesus did become poor so that you could become rich. He went hungry so that you could be made full. He wept and he sweat blood so that you could laugh. And although he was innocent, he was hated so much that he was crucified so that you, although you are guilty, could be declared innocent. So are you trusting that Jesus did that for you? If not, Jesus says your future is terrible. You need Christ. You need to rest in what he did for you. You need to confess your sins and be baptized and give your life to the only Savior. He is the only one who will ever lead you to the happiness that your heart craves. If you don't have him, one day you will be poor and hungry and weeping, and that will never end. But if you've already trusted in Christ and you're already following him, let me ask you to take just a moment and to look at your life. Let me ask you, what are you like? Do these things describe you, or are you poor because of the kingdom of heaven? Are you hungry in this life because you long for Jesus? Are you weeping because you see the brokenness of the world? And do people hate you because of Jesus? And there are are different types of people here. Some people might kind of look at that list and say, I think I'm doing all right. I think I'm doing pretty well. But many times, if you can say yes to those things, it's so common that you have a kind of martyr sort of attitude. You're like, look, Jesus, kind of like Peter, says, look, we we gave up all this stuff. What do we get? And, And if you have that kind of martyr attitude, you've missed the point. Christ is not precious to you right now. I am deeply concerned that some who call themselves Christians have no present joy in Christ. I see so many people who are full of fear and paranoia about how dangerous the world is and how America has gone downhill. You know what you didn't hear Peter saying right after he'd been beaten? He didn't say, man, this Roman Empire is just going to hell in a handbasket. He didn't complain about the beating that he got and the threats that were on his life. He rejoiced that he was worthy to suffer for Christ. But so many of us, as we, as we read the newspaper and look at elections, we're just afraid that the people that we want to see in power aren't going to stay there and that maybe our taxes will go up. Brothers and sisters, there are bigger things to worry about. Do you have joy like Peter had when he was beaten for Christ? They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. If you are called to suffer, you are blessed in the exact same way. Do not be afraid. If we wall our church off so that dangerous people never come into the doors and we lock all the doors all the time, we will not experience the blessings of seeing people come to Christ. We are not given a spirit of fear. We've been given the greatest gift in the world in Christ Jesus. And even if you kill me, that's all right. Because I have Jesus. So don't lose hope in the kingdom of God. Don't be a bitter Christian. If, if you can make a list of all the things that you've given up and you feel sort of cheated, then your heart is no different than people who just kept all their stuff because you still love all that stuff. You just managed to give it away, but your heart still longs for it and still craves for it. You aren't believing Jesus when he says that you're blessed. And if that's you... You make God look weak and unloving because you're grieving over the things that you've supposedly given up for the sake of the kingdom. Don't do that. If that's you and you have that fear of missing out or you regret the money that you've given to the church or or any of those things, let me say to you today, before we leave this service, repent and ask God's forgiveness and focus on what Jesus has given to you. And I'm saying that to believers So that's for people that kind of look at that list and say, yeah, I did all those things. I think I'm all right. Well, how's your heart? Now, there are two other things that that we have to talk about, and, and I'm sorry this is going just a little bit long, but there are two other things, because some of us, I think, are confused about what will make us really happy. Some of us are not poor. Some of us, in fact, I would say most of us are actually rich, especially when you think about how the rest of the world lives. So let me ask, have you made yourself poor literally By giving generously for the kingdom. And do you find joy in doing that? Do you kind of weep a little bit as your check drops into the offering plate every week? Man, there are things I could have done with that money. Or are you excited for what God will do for the kingdom of God as you give to it generously? Do you look for your happiness in the kingdom of heaven? Or do you look to vacations and hobbies to make you happy. And and I might make some of you mad here, but I think this is what Jesus wants. Do you live for camping trips and the ski slope? Is that where you find your happiness? Because if it is, and those are not bad things, but if that's what you look to to make yourself happy, you will be dry and empty and hungry and weeping when you see Jesus face to face. Let me ask you, are you making yourself poor with joy for the kingdom of heaven. Could you be living for Jesus more? And understand, Jesus is calling you to recognize what will really make you happy. He's not greedy in trying to get your stuff. He's trying to take away things from you that will leave you miserable and empty. Are you poor for the sake of the kingdom? If so, you are blessed. But if all your desires are the same as those of your non-Christian friends, if your wealth is tied up in houses and in in assets, then it may be an indication that you don't love Jesus as much as you should. You may love your things, and and maybe you're trying to hang on to both, but Jesus doesn't give you a middle ground. And so if that's you this morning, I would urge you, you also need to repent and ask the Lord Jesus, Maybe, maybe like the rich young ruler, you need to go literally sell some stuff. Maybe you need to fight the temptation of greed in your heart by getting rid of the things that you are trying to keep away from Jesus. And so I want to urge you, just ask the Lord. I can't tell you. Ask the Lord. Maybe you need to repent. And the last thing I want to say this morning is about reputation. One of the concerns that I have for our church, Jesus said, blessed are you, when people hate you and exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. And woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. One of the concerns I have for my own heart and, and for our church is that I believe we are too concerned about what a non-believing community thinks of us. We want to be thought of well. And Jesus says that is dangerous. We love doing good things. And hear me, I don't want to stop doing those good things. We love fixing houses and distributing food, and those are good things. We love having a good reputation. But Jesus says, Woe to you when people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. What I'm saying is, if every non-believer in Holly looks at our church and says, wow, they do so much good for our community and they love us, we have failed as a church. There must come a point in our ministries where we say, tearfully, you need to repent of your sins and be saved. Jesus is clear, if you do not repent of your sins, the only alternative is to pay for them yourself in hell. And if we do good deeds and fill bellies and fix houses and leave people in hell, we have failed as a church. The message of the gospel will make some people angry. No one likes being told, you're a sinner and you need to repent. No one likes that. But if no one is angry... It's because we aren't calling people to repentance like we should. We're like the watchman in Ezekiel. He was standing on a wall and you see disaster coming. But disaster is really unpopular with the people in the city. So you just don't say anything and you keep your head low. And you try to be popular. If you do that, Jesus says disaster is coming. Jesus says when we faithfully represent him, people, some people will hate us, and that's okay. In fact, Jesus says when that happens, we are blessed. And so I want to ask again, if if this describes you, if you're more concerned with what people think of you than with their eternal souls, you need to repent. Your heart is not right. This isn't about doing good things. I love doing good things. This is about What do we do as messengers of King Jesus? And so maybe you need to repent as as we close this message. And I want to give you space to do that. So let's pray. And I would urge you to ask the Holy Spirit. He will tell you where your heart is at. Ask the Lord, God, what do I need to do? How do I need to repent? What do I need to do different in my life? And then follow what the Holy Spirit tells you to do. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, I I pray that your word would continue to work in our hearts. Lord, I I pray against Satan stealing this away with distractions. Father, I pray that your word would grip us, that those of us who need to repent would get on our knees and with tears throw away the things of this world that, that are distracting us from you. I pray that you would help us to understand how blessed and happy we are in Christ. Even as we lose the the riches of this world, I pray that you would let us see how precious you are. Lord, remind us of our guilt before you so that we can enjoy the blessedness of forgiveness, knowing that every sin that we've committed is covered by the blood of Jesus, and you love us, and you have welcomed us into your family through Christ. I pray that that would be so precious that we wouldn't care about our things, that we wouldn't care about our reputation, that all we would care about is Jesus and telling people how to know him. Lord, I pray for your forgiveness when we have been cowards or afraid. Lord, I pray for your forgiveness when we have not proclaimed the gospel as loudly as we should have. And I ask for your help in changing. Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, May we remember the words that you spoke so long ago. May they be burned in our hearts. And may you give us the joy that comes with resting in Christ Jesus. We love you and we want to love you more. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I'm going to do two things right now. I'm going to dismiss you. But if God has spoken to you and you need to spend some time talking to him, or if it would be helpful to talk to me after the service, you are welcome to come and do that. And I would urge you that nothing matters more than being obedient to God. There's nothing that we do as a church that matters as much as being in a right relationship with God for all of eternity. And so if you need to take some time and pray, I want to urge you, don't worry about what else is going to happen at the church today. Spend some time with the Lord. And if you want to talk to me, I'm going to be available to do that. Now, as I dismiss you, I want to leave you with a passage that may leave you with some questions, but it's from 2 Timothy 2, 11-13, and I think it's a perfect benediction for this message. And my prayer is that, that this would be in your heart as you leave today. Paul says, this is a good saying. And he says, if we have died with Christ we will also live with him. If we endure, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Go in peace.